We are City on the Edge. Um, we are a podcast that tells Albuquerque and New Mexico stories, a lot of times history, but also sometimes just things we think about talking about. Um, right. So I'm Ty Bannerman. You guys introduce yourselves. I'm Nora Hickey. And I'm Mike Smith. Yeah, and Nora, we thought we were going to lose Nora because she moved to uh, where Fort Collins, Colorado, right? And we're like, oh, we can't really do the show if you live in Fort Collins, Colorado, because we're in Albuquerque and we're going to do like live events and you know we meet up in uh, in in, uh, yep. in bars and talk about our episodes and, yeah. and then suddenly nobody ever leaves their house anymore, so it doesn't matter at all. And so we, you may as well have never moved. And I, I think that's like, that's my silver yeah. lining from the, uh, the COVID-19 situation. It is good. Oh, yeah. thanks. Mine too. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's good to know that even though people are, are sick and, uh, and not doing great, that at least we can pretend that yeah. Nora still lives in Albuquerque. So what we're doing today is we're going to talk about the Estufa, a rather mysterious building on UNM campus. But... Before we get into that, we're going to briefly touch on the current state of affairs in Albuquerque. Everybody, how about you guys? Uh, let's start with uh, Mike. Yeah. Tell me one thing that's going on right now that's, that's okay. on your mind. Well, federal goons, an unmarked uh, police force comprised of various um, uh, different military and you know, police organizations, including Border Patrol, um, are on, on their way here and to other American cities, much like what's been going on in Portland, Oregon, which, like... So that's but, uh, obviously, like, self-evidently crazy, right? But this is, yeah. like, the more you think about it, the, the crazier it seems, because, okay, they rolled it out in Portland, there's been these protests going on, Trump's made a big deal out of the stuff going on in Portland, okay. Then they announced the other cities... Chicago and Albuquerque. <laughs> like I, we wow. haven't had like anything. Like people have been doing demonstrations and stuff. I assume for, you know, since since the statue went down. But it's been really like quiet here. Yeah. What in God's name made him choose uh, Albuquerque? Yeah. There was some property damage on May 31st and like yeah, May 31st. Like, yeah. Like toward the end of May, a little bit in the beginning of June. And honestly, like, you know, uh, riots are the voice of the unheard as Martin Luther King said, like, yeah. you know, when, when a system, when the people in a system don't feel like they have any investment in it or engagement, thing, things like that can happen. But even those quote unquote riots were just a peaceful protest with hundreds of people there for right. most of the event. In fact, for so much of the event that like most of the press left and then the small yeah. group of people that stuck around and, you know, struck, made some political damage. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, say, I, I don't want to get too bogged down yes. in this. There's yeah. a lot of great stuff about this. Um, if you go to KUNM, my, my employer, yes. they air show your New Mexico government and uh, so the no more normal show. Mm. Uh, which airs on mm. Sundays now. You can go to Cave yeah. and they, they have a lot of great reporting on this. So I, I said, you, you know, check that out. Okay. Uh, uh, what about you, Nora? What's your, what have you, uh, what's, what have you been noticing? What's on your mind about Albuquerque? I mean, you're in Fort Collins, so I don't know how much time you spend thinking about Albuquerque. Someone posted, I feel like it was on Facebook, but sort of a, it was a, a tongue in cheek video saying, look at how dangerous Albuquerque was. And it was mm. of downtown and it was basically a ghost town, a, um, you know, it wasn't dangerous, nothing was on fire, but yeah. I noticed as someone who used to live downtown as recently as February, um, it, it looked pretty empty. And I was, I was just so curious, what, what does it feel like out in the streets of Albuquerque? Um, you know, yeah. and I don't want it to feel busy at the same time, but it, it just seems so empty. Um, yeah. Yeah. Definitely emptier. Yeah. Well, that's, um, yeah, no one's leaving yeah. their house, really. I mean, yeah. certainly not going to bars and restaurants because they're closed. Well, let's, uh, let's proceed to the, uh, the show and tell portion. I know, Nora, you have, uh, you have something to show and tell. Yeah. I, I was told it was a show and tell episode of some sort. So some. I thought of um i'm gonna share the screen oh thank you 
it was it, it kind of um came from a sad place where i had read due to covid um uh, i think it was 12 out of 13 nuns had passed um oh, wow. at a place a nunnery i don't even know the words in michigan okay. but I, it just started getting me thinking about nuns and their place in the world currently and then it it kind of sparked this memory of um reading about elvis and albuquerque and it will all come together the nuns in albuquerque but basically his first show and he only played two shows in albuquerque one in 56 and one in 1972 and also this was pretty cool because he only played three southwestern cities besides las vegas um tucson phoenix and albuquerque Mm. although amarillo too is that a Southwest city? Texas doesn't count. Hmm. But <laughs> counts anyways, yeah. I don't know what it counts as. It's Texas. Um, huh. I can't remember how I came across this on the internet back so cool. like two years ago or something. But basically, he came, he played the sold out show um, at the Armory, which is at, was at the corner of Fifth and Silver downtown. And apparently it was this place you know, the hottest place in town um, before other event venues were yeah, built. See. There's a picture of it here. This is a, what it looked like in apparently 1908. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. I think it's, it's where, um, I think it's where Bose Brothers Brewery is now on 5th and Silver. Oh, it, there's a, it's a parking garage. It's that weird parking yeah. garage. There's a picture at the bottom of this page. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, um, you're right. Yeah, there it is. That's yeah. that's what's oh, there now. That's Fifth what's Street there. Yeah. Sad, right? Yeah. That's where some good yeah. building. But that at least they did something creative with. Yeah. Right? It's got wiggly parts. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> and the whole castle obsession that Albuquerque had was like an obsession with old Spain or something too, you know. So. Yeah. Um, and it's an armory. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We played Let's here. Play. Yes, Suara. he played here. Um, and if you can, on the screen that Ty has up, the first sentence um, was an interesting one of the of the paragraph below. Oh, go down a little bit again. There, Bill Prevetti introduced Elvis on, on stage, and he recalled that the armory that night was a melting pot in, of uh, Anglo, Anglo, can... Black, and Hispanic youths, he said. Uh. He never saw these people together, but here they were. Um, so it just drew this huge crowd of young women in particular. So the story that made the paper the next day, and it's described in this article, Singer's Kiss Leaves Girl 13 Real Shook, um, in the Tribune, basically, um, you know, some girls were there to see him. They went backstage or outside to, to see if they could see him. He gave a few a kiss on the cheek, and they were friends from the Catholic school St. Vincent, St. Mm. Academy, okay. um, which is no longer standing either. Right. Um, and so they gave, he gave you know, everyone these um, cheek kisses, but then he gave this one girl, 13-year-old, um, a, a real kiss. That's yeah, how his says, friends described it. It says, quote, really kissed, end quote, by Presley. So that's a little... How old yeah. was he at this point? He was 21. And he had a thing for 13-year-olds, right? Like, wasn't Priscilla oh. 13 oh. when he married her? Whoa. That's oh. Yeah, well, you know. Mm. But that Peter Goralnik two-volume uh, uh, set about Elvis's life is amazing. And his okay. brother owns the outpost. Really? The outpost? Tom Goralnik. Yeah. Oh, no kidding. Yes, but... Oh, cool. so, so, even, even kind of more interesting. So sh she gets kissed by Elvis. Her mom calls the Tribune with a story. Like, you know, like her daughter got really kissed by Elvis. <laughs> um, so this, this piece, you know, right here is published. The St. Vincent's nuns see it, mm -hmm. and they call the mom, and they're like, why would you let your daughter kiss this strange older man? And the oh mom gosh. is like, I wish it was me that he kissed, you know, like I was jealous. Oh my gosh. There's um, a lot going on in this story, Nora. Yeah. <laughs> Carla gets 
kicked out of St. Vincent's. She's in eighth grade. She's in the, um, you know, near the end of eighth grade. It's in April, but she gets kicked out for the rest of the year and then goes to Valley High School. Well, okay. that's always good to get kicked out of a private religion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I am O. And yeah, um, why would they punish her? That's bizarre. I know, I know. Yeah, that's lame. Um, Sisters. But, okay. So the the school is gone. And that um, was at, I, I believe, Lomas and 6th. Do you know where that okay. bank is by that subway on Lomas downtown? Uh, yeah, I think so. Like Compass Bank or something? Yeah, something like okay. that. I was at a party where okay. someone was playing this game where they were like just saying random intersections in town and asking you to remember a detail of it or something. And it was really hard. <laughs> really hard. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> oh, we, right. we would do well at that. So that's yeah, that's so my that's the the show and tell. Okay, that's show and tell. <laughs> what a strange little drama of yeah. uh, 1956. I'd imagine she. Pro I'd I'd like to think that she was happier to have seen Elvis than to continue going to that school. It's yeah. not. I mean, but it's Elvis not that she was so happy. All right. In that article, yeah. Hey, are there any, uh, is there anything we need to, we're going to have a, we're going to check on the comments from yep. time to time and let us know uh, if you have any questions or anything that you want to say. Uh, and we'll happily, um, we'll happily try to answer your questions or, uh, or respond to your comments like two minutes later because of the delay. Oh, wow. And I see we already have one. It says, this is from uh, our friend Holly Van Winkle. Will you be setting it on fire in a historical reenactment? She's referring to the Astufa, which I'm about to start talking about. Oh. Due to the number of times it was set on fire. And I would just like to state very clearly, I am not setting it on fire. I'm not planning to set like anything on fire. Yeah, no. it's made of adobe. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, you know, this is going to come up. I got this, this I got these pages yeah. of notes. <laughs> right, should we jump into it then? Yeah. yeah. Okay, Reveal I'm going to the secrets. the secrets of the Estufa will now commence in just a minute here because I got to figure out how to screen share it again, even though I literally just did it. <laughs> there we go. And ah, the Estufa. Wow. So, isn't it beautiful? <laughs> so, you can go in that. No. Oh. no, I mean, you, uh, some people can, yes. You, Nora Hickey, and you, Mike Smith, and me, Ty Bannerman, are not allowed. Um, in fact, uh, you know, we, we may have been allowed at a certain point in our lives, Mike, but uh, you, oh, yeah. Nora, by virtue of, uh, of your um, assigned gender mm. and, or, or whatever, uh, you cannot. Right. You are specifically prohibited. So if you've lived in Albuquerque for any amount of time, you have undoubtedly driven by this a few mm -hmm. times. Maybe you even noticed it, but I don't think most people necessarily notice it. It doesn't exactly like cry out for attention. It sort of yeah. fades into the background these days. Yeah. Is that a wall? That yeah, a what is it, a wall? I, yeah. And yeah, maybe if you notice it, you think, that's weird, and then you go about your day. Or, you know, you just kind of like wonder what it is idly. I spent literally years thinking that it was probably a shed for lawnmowers. Uh, like, I just figured this was the groundskeeper's shed at uh, UNM. Yeah, it's so unassuming. Right, so that's not what it is. It is in fact yeah. a, uh, a reproduction of a kiva, the Puebloan religious, what you call it, religious uh, building, um, extends underground. And it, uh, like, like a kiva, it extends underground, a story or so. Um, and there's a chamber in there that's used by the Pi Kappa Alpha fraternity as their secret meeting room. It's closed off completely to outsiders. It is especially closed off to women. So, still to this day? Yep, still to this day. Uh, as far as I know, um, I don't believe that's changed. Some Pi Kappa Alpha's status may have changed on campus. I wasn't really quite able to nail down exactly where they're mm. at right now. But 
we are going to take a look at this place's origins when it didn't look so much like that, but it looked like this. This is what it looked like right around 1910. Better. Yeah. Better. Yeah. <laughs> so we're just a little bit southeast of the, uh, the view that I was just showing. And you can see there's like nothing out there. Nothing at all. And its origins are with... Yeah. What's that? That's, I'm just amazed. That's crazy. Yeah. You're right. You can see that around the edges. So that would have been uh, university going up there, right. and then over here was, that'd be Redondo uh, and uh, which Martin might have Luther still King. been Plum Street at that time. When did that name change? I'm not. I'm not sure. Oh. I mean, I don't even know if there is a street there at this point. Oh wow! Yeah, you might in be right. this picture. Another yeah. thing you should notice is that um, you can't quite tell in this picture, but see this this slopey part. Mm -hmm. It's more like a ramp now, and, and before yeah. it was more like a stair a staircase, mm -hmm. and that was because the only way to get inside was a trap door on top. That's no longer the case. There's now a door in the side of it. Uh, but for some number of years, it was like this. So we're going to go back to uh, 1898 when the University of New Mexico was founded. This is a picture of what most people at that time, like if you if you knew UNM prior to like 1910, this is probably what you would have envisioned it as. This like weird kind of like Victorian brick building. No way. Um, yeah, this is Hodgen Hall. It still stands, but it does not look like this at all anymore. And this is what the, the campus of UNM looked like right around the time that the, uh, like right before the time that the Astufa was built. And again, you see these, uh. Victorian, yeah. Victorian style buildings. Um, it's Wait, which one? Which one is Hodgen Hall, where you defended your dissertation? Right there. That's wow. that's this one. This is the oldest huh. building on campus, the original campus building. This is where right. the entire school was for a uh, for a couple decades. Um, that's wild. And then these other buildings were added later. It's now possible. I was trying to look at this thing over here. I think that this might be one of the first dormitories, which was actually done in the uh, the Pueblo style. The what do they call it? Pueblo revival. Uh, revival style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So, oh, and at that time, this was the senior cheer. I just thought this was <laughs> hilarious. Like, no, you guys, you guys should have put a little more work into that cheer. Oh my oh, god! Who <laughs> wrote it? Why wouldn't you take credit for that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it has a title. <laughs> but at this point, there was like a, maybe a hundred students going to UNM, and they had started to form little cliques. Not exactly. They called. They would sometimes call themselves societies, but they were more or less just like people who hung out together. Right. And the first one that gained like any real prominence was this group of young men, who would they like to eat lunch together this was the basis for their society that's so pretty they, innocent it's very uh, innocent they called themselves the yum yum boys uh, and uh their other activity that they like to do besides eating lunch uh was stealing lunch from other people and eating them beneath the yum yum trees which is what they called some willows that were planted near hodgen hall presumably right around wow. here. and finally their favorite thing to do was to write uh, little articles in the, the brand new baby. It's not even the Lobo at this point. It's called uh, the Mirage. We talked about this in the last episode. Uh, the Mirage and then also UNM Weekly. Um, they like to write articles about the Yum Yum Boys adventures. Like really? boating down the river sticks and they would write songs about themselves and they were just super into themselves. Well. It's that age, you know. Yeah. Gonna... Here's an early uh, early article. Um, this one's actually a first-hand account of the Yum Yum Boys written by somebody sort of complaining about them. The Yum Yums, this would have been probably about 1903 or so. The Yum Yums seem to have settled down to a little piece over the last few days. After the high pitch to which our nerves have been screwed for some weeks by the exciting doings of this mysterious society, uh -huh. their cessation of activities is a great relief. The rules of this society, if it has any, seem to be that any member at a loss to know how to proceed should raise a rumpus. 
The rest of the time, they put in writing petitions. I don't know what they're writing petitions for, but I like that that's their two things that they do. The signal for a Yum Yum meeting is the announcement of a senior class meeting. Immediately, the Yum Yum sign makes its appearance on the blackboard, and the members all proceed into the lunchroom and howl. We wonder whether this mysterious organization is on the point of expiring or whether it will revive again next fall. So that was the Yum Yum Boys. And point in fact, they did not, in fact, expire. And that's because this guy came to town in 1901. This is uh, Professor William G. Tite. He's a geologist from Ohio. And he abandoned his wife and children to become the third president of UNM. We don't know, we don't know why, like what went down with his wife and children, but um, family, family uh, reminiscence says that Basically, his wife was just like, go to, Al- go to Albuquerque, New Mexico? No. And then he was like, well, I get to be president of the university. So he came without her. She supposedly kept setting his place at the table until oh. 1905 when the divorce was actually formalized. Wow. So there's a bit of a weird scandal already in this guy's story. Sure. Um, Despite that, he was hugely popular with the uh, and, with the students at UNM. And and he planted all those trees at the uh, corner of University and Central, right? The yeah. Ice Grove. The southwest okay. corner of uh, University and Central. There's a there's a clump of trees right in front of Hodgen Hall. That's yeah. His the trees he brought down from the Sandias with with right. students and planted out there. Dang. Many years, more than one year, right? Yeah, yeah, I think it was kind of his Arbor Day activity while he was president here. I think he was That's president cool. for nine years. Huh. Um, but he was well, also, what's that? The next time we're appreciating those trees, we have to thank this guy for abandoning his family. Thank you, Tide. I'm sure your children oh. forgave you eventually, maybe. Uh, no, That's, <laughs> it's horrible. I'm not thanking him for that. <laughs> so he's, uh, he was a big believer in the fraternity system. And in fact, was a a member of a fraternity himself. So he he like bought the whole idea that somehow it like helped make a a boy into a man and all that stuff. Mm. So when he came across the Yum Yum Boys in 1901, he thought maybe I could take the clay of these rambunctious youth and form them into an official Greek fraternal order. And he kind of cozied up to them and he made them a deal. The deal was if they would become a fraternity instead of just these lunch stealing weirdos, then he would help them. (laughs) (laughs) Then he would help them build a meeting hall. So they agreed to do that. At this point, no fraternity would have them. Like they couldn't be a member of a fraternity like on the national level. So they formed their Why? own. Because like UNM was just this kind of podunk college out mm-hmm. in the middle of the dusty plains, you know? Yeah. Or whatever you call the area around UNM at that <laughs> point. Plains, hills, sand hills. That's what it would be. Um so they formed themselves as the Tri Alphas, uh, which was a New Mexico, in fact, UNM only fraternity. Here they are, Alpha, 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 Alpha. 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 And, and, you know, just to, to show how cool they were, they got the, the skull and crossbones right there. And that was good enough. So Tite then helped them to build their secret meeting hall. And uh, this kind of fit into his idea of what the University of New Mexico's architecture should be. Like, he was not a big fan of this. He thought this just looked like everywhere else in the United States, probably looked a lot like Ohio, where he came from. He was a big fan of Pueblo architecture and the architecture of New Mexico's, like, Spanish-descended people. Um, He liked Adobe, and he thought this is like a really interesting unique style why don't we like start making the university in this style as well and so he helped them build 
the Astufa on the model of a kiva, the sacred ceremonial building uh, at Pueblos. Wow. And that was completed in 1908. Um, right around the same time, he remodeled Hodgen Hall into the uh, adobe style building that we, uh, we know today. And then he had those uh, dormitories built as well. Um, and that was kind of his big mark uh, at the university and, and probably in the, the world, really. Um, one year after this building was completed, Tite got fired. Hmm. Rumors reported in Albuquerque newspapers from the regent's displeasure with Tite's vision of campus architecture, like this was not necessarily Dang. a popular thing. To but claims, he like shaped it to be, yeah. wow. Sure. Well, and he helped, I mean, he was literally out there building the adobe bricks for this thing and, and you know, mixing the adobe for, uh, for Hodge and Hall. So, go ahead. Oh, no, no, I just remembered at one point he owned uh, Carlito Springs up in the uh, mountains too. Did he really? With Hodge, another UNM. Uh, for Hodgen. Hodgen, probably. Hodgen, Hodgen. That was, it was, they called it Hodge Tight Springs when they owned it, and it's on a couple of maps. No kidding. Yeah. But, yeah, that's an yeah, open Cooper space. Thing, yeah. So interesting. He lived with Hodgen, um, you know, while he was while he was single in, in uh, Albuquerque. Oh, so, oh really? Mm -hmm. Okay, well that explains all that. So one of his uh, one of the rumors about his uh, his firing was because of the architecture. The other rumor was, uh, quote, because he took women on unchaperoned buggy rides into the Sandia Mountains. Oh wow! Dude, you can't do that. Apparently not, especially if you're still married. So I, I don't know um, at what point he started the unchaperoned buggy rides. Yeah, but, what uh, if they were students or faculty or something? It but, uh, said that they were um, not university students, huh. but that's good. But you can't in that era. You couldn't context. You could not take. You should yeah. have gotten married. Yeah, oh. yeah. <laughs> if you did that seriously. Yeah. <laughs> Now he did. He did get married to one of his uh, buggy ride partners. Really? Yeah, he did in uh, in 1909, like right before he got fired. And apparently, the the icing on the cake, like people were unhappy about the unchaperoned buggy rides. But apparently, what really pushed him over the edge was he fired two UNM professors, whom he considered incompetent, and he sure. didn't get regent approval to do that so oh. that's what really did oh so he crossed the board of regents he crossed the board of regents which you should never do um so he got fired and then a year later he died and it's kind Dang. of unclear as to why he died and then even like more bizarre is all his correspondence and papers perished in a fire like they were destroyed in a fire soon after that Dude. so that's why we don't know a lot about type wow wow but uh, yeah, back to the well, tri-alphas. With him, uh, him dead, um, the tri-alphas continued using the, uh, the astufa for a time. Um, but in 1914, they were finally accepted by a fraternity, Pi Kappa Alpha. They became the first nationally affiliated fraternity in New Mexico. And this was at about the time that they installed the uh, the side door on the estufa, which was a bank vault door. And there's a rumor that the Pikes, as they're known, raided Isleta Pueblo and stole a ladder, or according to another source, artifacts, and uh, stashed them there in uh, yeah. in the estufa. Not cool. Here's the uh, here's the beginning of Pi Kappa Alpha. This is an interesting thing. He's sitting in a boulder that's been shaped into a, like a throne. Hmm. I wonder what happened to that. Uh, we need that for sitting on the edge. I should be we, sitting in that right now. Yes. Bring it with you wherever you go. Rolling it like this. So then things get kind of quiet for the Astufa until the 30s. And then they get really weird and noisy because a group called Theta Nu Epsilon appears on the scene at UNM. Have you ever heard of this? These guys? Oh. This is a fascinating rabbit hole. If you have 
if you have any time, look into Theta Nu Epsilon. They are an illegal fraternity on most campus. Whoa. Campuses. They Whoa. do exist um, legitimately on a few, but apparently that's like considered not the real Theta Nu Epsilon. That the was, real was, Theta Nu Epsilon is the illegal fraternity. Wow. Well, it's the legal ones doing all the binge drinking and date raping, right? Half the time. Oh, I'd I'd say it's uh, both legal and illegal would be my guess. Yeah, um, I would. Why why have that on campus? Ever like I've never understood what what fraternities contribute to the campus. Yeah. But well, apparently really these guys were bad enough that in the '30s they were declared illegal. I didn't uh, even know you could have an illegal fraternity. Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't heard that term really before. Right. There's not a lot of them. Um, what did they do? Why are they illegal? So that's kind of an interesting thing. So let me let me just give a quick little bit of background on them. They were founded in 1870 at Wesleyan University as an offshoot of the Skull and Bones Society, which I'm sure you've heard of. That's the Yale fraternity that uh, George W. Bush and Whoa. George Bush Sr. and various other influential politicians have belonged to. They have the ritual that supposedly involves using Geronimo's skull that was stolen from uh, Mexico. Oh my God. So they're all racist and awful. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Theta Nu Epsilon was outlawed on most campuses due to overtly trying to rig not just college, but also town and city elections. And what? Yeah. Um, and then Holy I. Sh I yeah, wow. no, they're really they're so they're still super influential in places like the University of Alabama, where they're referred to as the machine. Oh my god! They have they have a lot to say there. They're still like, you know, uh, segregationist or white supremacist. Oh jeez, Louise. Um, kind of lost my train of thought there. Yeah, so they're, they're bad news, and they were bad enough that they got declared illegal at UNM in the 30s and lots of other places, but they still stuck around. Um, and they became active in their illegal form in the late 30s. On December 8th of uh, 19... Well, hold on, let me, let me just relate this back to the Astufa. They seem to have a real problem with the uh, Pi Kappa Alphas. And I don't, I don't exactly know that why this was, but they were constantly vandalizing the Astufa at this point. Um, and then in the, uh, the late 1930s, they kidnapped the editor of the Daily Lobo on December, 18, December 8th, 1937, brought him out to the West Mesa, beat him up, forcibly cut his hair, and left him tied to a post. Jeez. Uh, yeah. Um, the perpetrators were apparently caught by the university, but then let go without their identities ever being revealed or anything like that. That's mob assault right there. That's not... Yeah. Um, so here's, uh, here's the Astufa during its uh, Pi Kappa Alpha. Uh, well, it's still Pi Kappa Alpha, but early on, it's got the big Pi Kappa Alpha mm. there. Um. And here it is after some vandalism done by Theta Nu Epsilon. Oh. Uh, you can see that looks like a one, the word one, but it is in oh. fact a Theta, a Nu, and an Epsilon. So oh. something that they did attracted the ire. Apparently they were constantly like kicking holes in the Astufa and so forth. Gosh. Again, yeah. things get quiet um, because of World War II. Campus life kind of sure. dies down to nothing. Then when students co start coming back after World War II, there's increasing like frat activity. And on April 11th, 1946, the Albuquerque Journal reported that the Astufa had been set on fire for the third time in three months, quote, climaxing a long series of thefts and vandalism on the campus. So this kind of weird war that they were having with Theta Nu Epsilon and Pi Kappa Alpha was continuing. And then um, apparently they were able to set it on fire for the third time. Whoever was either in Theta Nu Epsilon or purporting to be in Theta Nu Epsilon launched, they, like they performed a robbery downtown at the El Fidel Hotel um, in order to attract attention away from the Astufa while other members set the Astufa on fire supposedly pouring enough gasoline that it was actually like running down the uh the front ramp here. Uh. 
In the paper, the journal, uh, the UNM administration blames it on two organizations, Theta Nu Epsilon, which we've already talked about, and BAT, which I've never been able to find any more information about than what is in this, uh, this newspaper article. BAT, said the, uh, the administrator at UNM, was, a, was women students who were interested in vandalism. That's so, amazing. Wow. I couldn't find any pictures of them, obviously, but I'd like to think uh, this is what they looked like. No. <laughs> I could see that. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've never been able to find any more information about BAT, but I think that was the super, the super amazing. Cool thing. <laughs> and I'd like to think that they were setting it on, you know, if BAT had anything to do with it, that they were setting it on fire because they wanted to get inside and they thought it sucked. BAT, I wonder what it's for. I don't know. Or, um, I know. If anything. So three students were arrested for setting the uh, the Astufa on fire. Um, they were arrested because they were on the scene watching the flames and they smelled of gasoline. Whoa. They were later let go without any uh, sort of charges. In September of that year, I like this article, the Astufa was set on fire for the fourth time Irks. that year. <laughs> They're very irked. And uh, if this nonsense doesn't stop, somebody's going to get hurt, said Fire Chief Art. Walker. Art's not wrong. <laughs> Art. <laughs> yeah, it's there. Okay, here's uh, Theta Nu Epsilon's uh, logo. Oh, they uh, think they're so edgy and tough. They're like the like historic 4chan. Like, no kidding. Yeah, edge totally. lords of the past. Edge oh. lords, yeah. yeah. Um. They used to have the skull and crossbones because they were no affiliated. About the dark web. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they replaced the, the crossbones with, uh, with these keys. Uh, and then they stabbed it with a knife to look awesome. Yeah. And this was how they apparently dressed sometimes. Jeez, um, guys. All right. Not a good look. Not, yeah. Not but fitting with what we know of their awfulness, they probably took that right from the clan or something like that. Mm. Well, yeah. in the um, the Daily Lobo was a particularly against them, huh. and often referred to them as the baby KKK. Huh. Really? Yeah. So they uh, for the Lobo, speaking truth to power, even back then. They, man, they, yeah. They've really, yeah. Um, after the. Uh, the Daily Lobo editor was uh, was kidnapped in the 30s. Um, they, I like this article. It's not the policy of the Lobo to print anonymous communications. Neither is it our policy to submit to intimidation or violence. For that reason, we print the following note, which was received by the editor in the afternoon mail on Friday. Mr. Lyle Sanders, what happened Wednesday night is just a sample. Don't put this in the paper if you like to be healthy. So that, what? Was, that was what was going on in the, the late 30s at UNM. Oh, my God. So then we have another quiet period until the early 60s. And this is kind of like the craziest story of them all in my mind. So in the late 1960s, civil rights, uh, there's like civil rights demonstrations all over the country. There's a lot of like progressive politics ha happening. Um, the Daily Lobo is, is taking the, the local fraternities, some of the local fraternities to task for having official clauses in their charters that prohibit uh, students of color from from joining them. Um, and the responses to that to the articles about uh, about the language prohibiting students of color are kind of hilarious that the fraternities like immediately start writing it and it's like, well, that's just something old and we would totally let like students of color into the fraternities, but there wasn't a single one at this point. Um, this is 1962. It's an election the, during the elections for the following years, Associated Students of the University of New Mexico. There is a slate called the Progressive Students Party uh, with the graduate student uh, Bronx native Edward Lewis, uh, who is black as the presidential candidate. I believe the very first ASUNM presidential candidate uh, who, who was black um, prior to that and several fraternities are on that slate like they have representatives on that slate like they you know are supporting him 
At the same time, the head of the Veterans of Foreign Wars and the editorial board of the Albuquerque Journal are calling for an investigation into the University of New Mexico as harboring communists. Jeez. Yeah, it's a super fraught time. And then on April 3rd, in the run-up to this election at ASUNM, let's see. Here's Ed Lewis, by the way, uh, running for the uh, running for the ASUNM student council presidency. April 3rd of 1962, this happens. Terrorists hit UNM. Uh, fire bombs are thrown in through windows at the fraternities who have candidates on the Progressive Student Party's slate. A r another round of Theta Nu Epsilon vandalism goes up on walls all over the campus. Signs appear on the campus that read, if Ed Lewis gets elected, he'll be a victim of the KKK. Jeez. The Daily Lobo is broken into, um, equipment's destroyed, things are set on fire, the wall is vandalized with a, you know, pretty much the worst, the worst oh, yeah. you can think of. Um, Ed Lewis is asked. Yeah, I know, Michael Bagherty. Also, <laughs> the most hilarious juxtaposition of headlines ever. Terrorists hit UNM, extreme petting must stop, says dormitory <laughs> council. <laughs> and yeah, written by Michael McGarity, the mystery author. <laughs> Wait, not the Michael McGarity. Yeah, it is. The he Michael McGarity. I've, I've, I've seen that article, that, like him talking about it online or something somewhere. And I am a, uh, I am a Michael McGarity scholar. Oh, really? Does he still yeah. own, like, does he like that he wrote that article or? <laughs> Extreme petting must stop. Uh. Um, just to go on a little tangent, I followed this article a little bit too. So, I mean, obviously, like, it's about the girls in, uh, in Hakona Dormitory and their boyfriend stopping by. And their solution at Hakona Dormitory was to, like, have a network of snitches of girl snitches who would tell on ladies who were spending too much time with their boyfriends Dang. and report back. But wow. not to take away too much from the, uh, from the bombing. But no, your, your eye goes to that. Yeah, it's just like, why would they choose to put both of the, and it doesn't even look, it looks like Terrorists hit UNM, Hakona Hall, put on closed week hours, extreme petting must stop. Kind of looks like they're all part of the same article. So a pity about the, the Lobo's uh, uh, page layout, but, uh, you know, yeah. but, uh, you know, whatever. But good coverage yeah. of. That's, I think that's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> I can't. So Ed Lewis. <laughs> So Ed Lewis was uh, was reached for comment by the Lobo, and he said, "I prefer just to ignore it and continue running the campaign." That poor guy being terrorized, man. Yeah. Like, Absolutely. No wonder they called that frat the baby KKK. They were. They were. Yeah. They're pointy hats. Um, the next day after this, a slew of letters pour into the Lobo, blaming the Lobo for having stirred up racial tensions on. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. Um, it's funny. It, it's definitely a lot of this is uh, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Yeah. No kidding. Kind of stuff. So what does this have to do with the Astufa, right? Um, well, a few days later, on April 25th, my birthday, uh, although my birthday was 14 years after this happened, April 25th, 1962, four current members and one past member of Pi Kappa Alpha plot twist were arrested, including this guy, Bob St. Clair, who was the president of the senior class at UNM and the chairman of students of the student standards board. He and the other four admitted to the bombings, as well as having taken part in multiple burglaries throughout the city including stealing $2,000 in uh, 1962 money from KNME and jacking, oh. the, uh, jacking the coin boxes at various laundromats. And they stored all the stolen goods and made the bombs in the Astufa. Oh. He's a petty thief and a racist. 
Jeez. Totally a petty thief and a racist. But here's what I'm wondering. Theta Nu Epsilon was at war or with Pi Kappa Alpha in the 40s. What happened? Is did did Theta Nu Epsilon like form mm. some kind of alliance with Pi Kappa Alpha? Did these guys try to like was this a ploy to pin it on Theta Nu Epsilon? Who knows? Maybe World War II happened and they grew up and things just Wait, 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 what year was this? What was this? was 62. Oh, 62, never mind. Okay. So yeah, no kidding. Well, maybe they just grew up because that's what happens with like, you can see like tagging cycles connected to people being in town, sometimes connected with uh, yeah. like UNM, you know? Right. But was there an official wow. Pi Kappa Alpha affiliation with, with Theta Nu Epsilon at this point mm -hmm. is what I'm wondering, or were mm -hmm. these guys just using that as their cover? I have only heard bad stories from UNM's frats. I do not know. Everyone, every student I ever taught there that was in the frats was a total lunkhead. Oh. I mean, they were, they were like, I mean, <laughs> they like, no, I mean, no, I, you know, I, I found the humanity. Uh, sure, sure. Everybody, but like, you know, it was just like, I've got these terrible impulses to just follow my id and this group will just totally. Right. Well, you have these institutions that promote a certain, certain behavior, you know, and people tend to yeah. do that i guess and they're misogynistic and they're like they're totally creepy they all you know have a date rape drug hookup i'm sure they're like just yeah yeah you know so i've heard so many stories like that and then like there's so many stories of like suicide and um oh. yeah and uh you know binge drinking deaths and things like that out of them Jeez. Like, it's really like just a nasty culture from from everything i've heard well but, uh, Anyway. So a APD charged these guys with 50 counts of burglary, but no charges having to do with the bombings or the uh, the destruction at UNM. Uh, they chose what? not to pursue those charges. Don't ask wow. me. Ed Lewis, the uh, candidate whom they were targeting, wound up losing the presidency to the self-proclaimed moderate party at UNM. Wow. Pi Kappa Alpha did get suspended on April 30th. However, one month later, it was reinstated for the following year on the condition that there was a regular inspection of the Astufa by university personnel. Whoa. Not women. Uh. Here's a quote from Earl Watkins, the National Executive Secretary of Pi Kappa Alpha, um, stating that, the chap that, that uh, suspending the chapter was unfair. He said, this is an attack on a minority group. What? And uh, there are lots of good, innocent boys in this chapter. Oh. Um, <laughs> and then guess what happened to these five, uh, five students who um, were charged with the, uh, the burglaries and the bombing? What? All charges against them were dismissed one year later despite two of them having pled guilty in court. Wow. Um, that's... But, but white privilege is a myth. Yeah. And, uh, wow. That's amazing. I do kind of have a... Okay, this part of the story blew my mind. What? There's more mind-blowing parts? One more mind-blowing part. So Ed Lewis, the candidate for the Progressive Student Party, graduated from UNM. He got his graduate degree from uh, the, school, the Anderson School of Management. Um, he became a banker. He worked at the First National Bank, which is behind me here. Then he moved to New York. And then in 1969, believing that there needed to be a venue for um, more black voices, but not, not necessarily like just political, but in uh, like lifestyle and so forth. Let's see if I can get there. Here he is now, by the way. He founded Essence Magazine. Really? Yeah, the people who came up with the Essence Awards, which I'm sure you've Whoa. heard of. Yeah, he founded Essence Magazine, and he worked. He ran it until 2005, at which point he sold it to Time. Wait. Dang. Wait, what's his name? Ed Lewis. So this is the guy who ran and lost at UNM because this of the race. This was back the guy. This was the Back in 1962. Back in 1962. What? That's Holy crazy. moly. That is, did not, 
you like researched a shed that you drive by and found <laughs> out like this tiny story that has wow uh, i couldn't believe it all this stuff because i've looked into this story before and i don't know if i just didn't like look up what happened to ed lewis <laughs> oh my god this should be common knowledge in 1997, he became the first African-American chairman of the Magazine Publishers of America. He served on Barack wow. Obama's Board of Advisors for the Initiative on Historically Black Colleges and Universities. Oh my gosh. There he is. That's so he awesome. kind of got the, got Thank the last Thank you, Ed, laugh. for... Well, UNM's lost for not Seriously. having him in the leadership position there. Um... The Astufa, let's go back to that for a moment. In the 70s, it was slated for demolition, but it wound up... Uh, not being demolished. In 2002, it was broken into. And soon after that, long missing items from different University of New Mexico organizations mysteriously reappeared. Whoa. Because they'd been stored in the Estufa. They'd been robbing the entire time. Like the story starts with the Isleta Dude, robbery. That's... It's got this crazy burglary ring thing that they were doing. And then in 2002, they got broken into, and their stuff, which belonged to other organizations on campus, got returned. Um, there were numerous allegations against Pike over the years. Their latest suspension ended in January of 2019, which was one year after all Greek activities on campus were placed on social restriction for a slew of allegations, uh, including sexual assault and oh. let's uh, rename the Astufa the Ed Lewis. Oh, what a good idea! Place, you know. Like that. Yeah, is there anything named on UNM campus after this famous alumni that like? There's a scholarship. Oh, there is. He's got a scholarship, oh. but that's. You know, because he gave a bunch of money for there to be a right. scholarship. It's not like UNM went out of its way to honor him. Right. He returns he from time to time to Albuquerque and uh, delivers, like, you know, speeches and cool. so forth. So We have one question about um, a break-in. Matt Royball asks, did they ever find out who broke in 2002? That was mysterious. I was a student then. Yeah. Well, that's what we're wondering. As far as I can tell, they never did. Um, that so could it have been a rival frat? Or, or it certainly it... could have been. Wow. It's still being used by frats. Yeah, it's still being used by Pi Kappa Alpha. There's still a, an organization on campus. Lame. So. I huh. think they ought to give it to the African American Student Union. What a great idea. It could be great a library idea. or whatever they wanted. Yeah. Like, yeah, a clubhouse room. That'd be good. So that's my story cool. tonight. That's great, man. And so well researched. And whoa. Yeah. So, what yeah. happened to the horrible people that uh, didn't get prosecuted? Did you ever find anything out about their lives beyond the story? I did a little cursory research into oh. them, but I kind of uh, didn't care. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't. I couldn't find out if anything in particular happened. They to became them. drifters from the land. <laughs> yeah, <just> broken. Exactly. <laughs> I was, the, the, it's also weird the echoes with today and right. You know, it's a super relevant yeah. story. It turns out. Yeah. 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 Are you going to write an essay or something about the Astufa that'll tie in with your other topics? I mean. Uh, what do you mean? Like for the? I don't know. Like maybe you could. W would do you see your memoir expanding into some, writing about something local like that? I don't know what the hell's going on with my memoir. Oh, I mean, yeah. you know, I'd love to. I'd love to collect some of these stories into a yeah. into a, oh, like totally. a city on the edge book. I don't see why we oh, couldn't do be, that. At that's some point. great. Yeah. Another good um, idea. I did do a story in New Mexico Magazine, uh, like this last month, the, the back oh. page, which is about the Estufa. It doesn't oh, get into any of that. It doesn't okay. get in. They they were like, no controversy. <laughs> like, oh okay. really? Okay. It was a building. It was made you, in 1909. You can't go inside. Like that was like pretty much the whole article. It was, like 75 words. Um, um, Jessica McCory Reno says, "Real talk. It was Ty that broke in." <laughs> I kind of wish I broke in. I. Mike, you have a 
you went by one time and the, the door, door was open. open. Yeah, and I was like, oh my gosh, but my yeah. kids were late to a birthday party. And they're like, no, we've got to go to the party. <laughs> and, uh, no, dang. And, and now some of them regret it too. They're like, because we yeah. drive by that a bunch, you know? Like, and, and it connects to the steam tunnels, which go for six levels underneath Albuquerque, right? You think it does? Oh yeah, absolutely. When that, remember when we did secret the secret UNM event? There was yeah, that no, we... that was robbing UNM. Yeah. And, did he get and, in uh, there? And they, yeah, it was connected with that. The steam tunnels. Uh, I know there was some connection. Interesting. Yeah. It's, Wait, yeah. you. We have to try to see it sometime. Yeah. One of us. There's well, so let's many not, others. Let's not say anything incriminating. That's. Uh, there was a steam tunnel tour a while ago, but I kind of like didn't care that day or something. Yeah, the steam tunnels <laughs> used to be such a like yeah. this mysterious place that you could go into, yeah. but now they've got automated cameras and stuff. You can't get oh, in there. Yeah. I oh, mean, really? it's still cool to see out of the way spots and secret yeah. worlds and stuff, but you know, it's yeah, because nobody knows what they're walking. Or my brother Jeff toured like an 1868 subway underneath mm. Manhattan that's just been sitting down there and like the pneumatic mm. tube uh yeah it's yeah, it's, yeah it was like a the first version of this tunnel used horse-drawn cars well there was and a pneumatic one too that it like operated on the same principle oh. as the bank you know those cylinders at the oh bank yeah would, yeah yeah so they I had a, those as a kid they had Whoa. a subway built on that same principle <laughs> in new york it only went for like two blocks or something oh, like that. Oh, okay. i like it that's cool <laughs> yeah. it takes a lot of wind power I'm like doing a kind of a Dostoevsky deep dive lately. This is his first novel, which I got recently from a book giveaway. But look at this in the back here. This says printed in the United Soviet Socialist Republic. Oh, what is it? Is oh okay. It's like literally book. from the USSR. How cool yeah. is that? Wow. Pretty neat. Uh, yeah, there's no date, but it's it's old. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Um, all right okay yeah, this was fun and and yeah. you know help me uh pull up my freaking, spirits a little what i want to come out of this is freaking ed lewis man no kidding that guy's yeah. awesome and all these other people are terrible uh, and yeah <laughs> they really were and Seriously. then i i just couldn't believe like the the influential positions of these guys i mean i, I couldn't believe it i could totally believe it but it just, I got it was uh, hitting the nail on the head. Like it just seemed a little yeah. too, yeah, too pat there. You know what I mean? That um, racism did not go away, unfortunately. No, uh, it did. It did not. So. Um, also, Jessica does say, "I heard no denial from Ty about right. you breaking in." So. We oh man. Two thousand two. I feel like I better not, um, I better not leave any room for error in case.